Blog Talk Radio. When the opponent expands, I contract. When he contracts, I expand. And when there is an opportunity, I do not hit. It hits all by itself. Now, you must remember the enemy has only images and illusions behind which he hides his true motives. Destroy the image and it will break the enemy. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. Mind expansion engaged. people. This is the Midweek Show, of course, the Midweek in Review edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk and, of course, yours truly, <laughs> D-Bert, a.k.a. the Afro Nerd. The call-in number, as always, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. We have a fully packed show, as we always do, trying to give you the not only the very best of urban alternative groove, black rock and roll, and psychedelic soul, but just plain old information. We just have a lot to cover. Um, we're expecting a new addition to our Afro nerd machinery, Claire Linnae. Um I spoke with her uh, yesterday, so um, she may be running late. If not, we will go forward. But we're, she, has, she especially wanted to talk about the Oscars. I think she's going to be more regular with the Grindhouse, but specifically – with the Oscars that just passed, I think she had a special take on it. We all want to discuss discuss for a moment, and then we'll move along and talk about other topics. But uh, Chris Rock, you know, this is a long-awaited thing, um, very much, uh, very much the kind of thing that folks with a great deal of curiosity wanted to see. We know about Oscar So White, the infamous hashtag Oscar So White. And then, ironically, you have Reginald Hudlin, to Reginald Hudlin, directing this thing. And Chris Rock, famed comedian Chris Rock, he was 
hosting this this thing. And we know that Chris Rock, you know, he's not afraid to tackle race. He is also uh, having an acerbic wit. So we need to know what this guy was going to say. And it went off pretty much the way that we thought it was going to get, uh, go off. So anyway, folks, let's go to an urban alternative groove. Then we'll just mix it up. We have a lot to get into. Let's go to a Prince protege, Judith Hill, as trains go by. Check this groove out for about two minutes, then we'll get to the discourse. Hold on. Let's groove. Like CeeLo Green in a sea of red light. Might as well be famous since I ain't gonna be white. One way or another, I know I'll be alright. As trains go by. Bad times out of sight. Again, 
646-915-9620. Now, I mentioned the captain. No, this gentleman is. He is my partner in white-collar crime. Cap, you're needed in the ready room. Let's get to it. Let's groove. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. didactic, scientific, heretical diatribe. At least this time out. Let's get it started, Apple Nerd. All right. Now, again, we have a new addition to the Afro Nerd machinery by popular demand, Ms. Claire Linnae. Uh I'm kind of stalling because I'm trying to find, <laughs> I'm trying to find a decent uh, intro for her. I'm going to have to work on that. Um, but, uh, again, we, we had folks that were tweeting us and sending us emails What's the deal with Claire? We've got to bring her back, you know, uh, the, especially the exchange captain between uh, Claire and, as he put it, uh, his, her third Earth 3 doppelganger. Is that what he said? Something wacky? Yeah, that's what he said. Let me bring Ms. Claire Linnae to the fold. Claire. Hey. Hey, what's up? How's it going? How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, I like how you busted out the Star Trek TNG. Yeah. <laughs> we have a couple of uh, uh, different intros for Star Trek for uh, Captain Kirk. I wish he would use the animated one more often. We have the animated intro as well. Uh, but, yeah, we have we have everything for him. Um, so to, to the listening audience, we're, we're going to you know chop it up a little bit. There's a lot to get into. As I said before, uh, the call-in number, as always, is certainly a constant. The call-in number is 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Now, we're just a few days past the 88th Annual Academy Awards, and this is a whole big hullabaloo, although I, I think it's really an extension from last year because this Oscar So White thing really goes back to last year. So now uh, I think we've... Many of us thought that that was embarrassing enough for 2014, but uh, or was it two, yeah, 2015? But now that it's 2016, still Oscar so white. So it reached it reached a, I guess a, a, a point of no return. So Chris Rock, as we know, phenomenal comedian, very um, abrasive, talented, and acerbic wit. He was hosting this thing and. With the distinction of having Reginald Hudlin directing it, so you did have a, a kind of black presence involved in the in the actual pomp and circumstance. But when it came came down to the actual products, minority representation just was not there. So what I want to do before we start really getting into this, I want to play a clip about the Oscars. We'll play it for a few moments, and then we'll unpack. Um, I believe this is from Complex News. They're discussing the Chris Rock deal 
So, now if I can find this thing, <laughs> live radio, folks. Uh, <laughs> come on, let's get to it. All right, complex news, Chris Rock, hold on. What's up, guys, for Complex News, I'm Jinx. The 80th Annual Academy Awards took place this evening, and of course, there was a lot of eyes on the ceremony's host, Chris Rock, with many curious as to what he was going to say during the awards opening monologue. As you know, this year's Academy Awards come under much controversy, with many having voiced their opinions on the lack of diversity in Hollywood, and as a result, the Oscar nominations. Several spoke out, some even chose to sit out of the evening's festivities, while others called for a boycott from talent and viewers as a whole. Chris Rock, aware of all the issues leading up to the ceremony, took it upon himself to prepare new material for the event. He unveiled some of this material during his opening bit, addressing the issues, the industry, and the audience. Please welcome your host, Chris Rock. I'm here at the Academy Awards, uh, otherwise known as the uh, White People's Choice Awards. Uh, you realize if they nominated hosts, I wouldn't even get this job. Rock spoke directly to the protests against this year's show, but highlighted that a lot of the issues discussed this year, unfortunately, aren't new. It's the 88th Academy Awards. The 88th Academy Awards. Which means this whole no black nominees thing has happened at least 71 other times. Okay? You gotta figure that it happened in the 50s, in the 60s, and black people did not protest. Why? Because we had real things to protest at the time. You know? Chris also wasn't afraid to address his peers that did choose to voice their opinion, namely Jada Pinkett Smith, who was one of the most vocal celebrities speaking out against the ceremony. Jada says she's not coming, protesting. I'm like, is she on a TV show? Jada's going to boycott the Oscars. Jada boycotting the Oscars is like me boycotting Rihanna's panties. I wasn't invited. <laughs> now, I'm not sure where that's going to sit, but also facts. Rock took it upon himself to ask and answer the question that's been presented again and again. Is Hollywood racist? Well, is it is it burning cross racist? No. Is it thickness some lemonade racist? No, 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 no. It's a, it's a different type of racist. Hollywood's racist, but it ain't the racist you th that you've grown accustomed to. Hollywood is sorority racist. It's like, we like you, Rhonda, but you're not a Kappa. Approaching the end of his monologue, Chris Rock spoke honestly, discussing what a lot of the frustration, conversation, and attention has all been about. Well, what I'm trying to say is, you know, it's not about boycott anything. It's just, we want opportunity. We want the black actors to get the same opportunities as white actors. That's it. That's it, you know? Now, again, the awards are dope, but Chris Rock managed to steal at least a part of the show, you know, for the culture. Stay posted with us here at Complex for the rest of your Oscar coverage by subscribing to our YouTube page. For Complex News, I'm Jinx. All right, again, courtesy of Complex News, Chris Rock at the Oscars. Uh, let me open up the floor. Um, there's other sideline issues as well. Uh, there was a, a portion of the event where uh, many, many perceived a, a uh, slight against the Asian community 
because of three young Asian children that were used as a as as a kind of prop for a joke uh, at an event that was that where we're lambasting diversity and you're kind of taking a crap on other folks of color. So that the double entendre part of that didn't seem to play well. So Chris Rock was critiqued for that. So it, it ended up being somewhat of a debacle in some ways, a triumph in some ways, a debacle. I'm also hearing that the ratings were down, uh, like in eight, eight years in a row. This is this is the lowest ratings for the Oscar event in eight years. So, um, who's to say if the boycott worked? Something worked because it wasn't that as many people looking at this thing. So anyway, let's go into this thing. Um, let me let me go to Cap, and then we're going to go to Claire. Captain, what what were your thoughts about the Oscars? I and mean, we we spoke about this for a, a, a bit. But now the event has actually occurred. Uh, Chris Rock did his thing, um, four or five minute monologue, and it was, you know, newsworthy. So, what, what were your thoughts about this? According to the great Sergio Mims, he had said, in case you don't know, Sergio Mims is the person who, one of the people that are running Shadow and Act. Now, According to Sergio Mims, as he said before, the Oscars was set up strictly to promote a lot of Hollywood, their material that was coming out, and also as a political ploy at the same time. It's very political. That's what it is in respect. And I'm still riding with that. I believe that 100%. Now, if we go further, we look into Hollywood, look into the DNA of Hollywood. How is Hollywood set up? Hollywood, more or less, is set up as sexism, ageism, tribalism, nepotism, cronyism. Every type of ism is what's running it at the end of the day. And pretty much you have to know the deal going in and what you're dealing with. It's not all of a sudden, oh, you know, you know they're tribal. Oh, there's cronyism, there's ageism. Hollywood is the worst when it comes to that. A lot of people complain about it. And even, you know, it's hard enough for a white guy to get an opportunity. It's worse for black people. And it's even worse for Asian people because it's Hollywood. They're not putting out the roles. They're not putting out the material. So that being said, what I thought he did with his, uh, you know, opening monologue and everything else, I thought it was typical Chris Rock. You know, you make fun of everybody. You pass it all around. This is what comedians do. If you have a problem with it, you know, you need to toughen up a little bit. You know, as I said before, I have hulk skin, you know, so nothing really pretty much bothers me, and I take the time out to find out what the deal is already. You know, and also, too, if you look at, like, a lot of the product that was really coming out, let's say for, like, this year, you know, they could have have, uh, pretty much thrown black people an Oscar, but do you really want that? You know? Do, do Do you really want that? The problem is with Hollywood, it's not just the Oscars. It's a lot of the material that's coming out pertaining to black and other ethnic groups. Some of that material is just not good. And then when you have some good product, they're not putting that out either. They're not going to distribute it. So you see, the problem is with Hollywood, the DNA. So you need something else. You need another alternative at the end of the day. That's just essentially what it breaks down to. But at the same time, you can lean on Hollywood a little bit. So instead of them putting out maybe three worthy movies a year, you can get seven. 
the end of the day, it is a white boys club. That's what it is. You know, back over to you, Afro Nerd. Um, let's let's uh, pass the mic to the uh, the Asiatic additive. We're working on we're working on code names. We're working on it. Uh, <laughs> Claire, um, your thoughts. You were very passionate about this deal, so let us know what 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 are your thoughts about the the Oscars and the whole deal. You're in Hollywood, by the way, so you're you're in, you're in, in the left coast, so you could speak more intimately about this. I mean, in terms of Chris Rock's monologue and his whole, you know, the whole thing with hosting, that is not an enviable job. It's a very difficult job, and I thought, you know, I thought he did pretty well for the most part. You know, I, and and as as just mentioned, he did everything that I expect Chris Rock to do. And so anybody who is shocked and dismayed over, you know, some of the comments that he made, I mean – What'd y'all expect? You hired him. Didn't you see some of his other, you know, stand up? I mean, you knew what you were getting. Just like with Ricky Gervais. He talks so much smack about the Hollywood foreign press and yet they have hired him twelve times to host the show. So they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. And and even though at times it was a bit it's a bit much, it's a bit, you know, in your face. I get it. That's what you know. That's what it's all about when it comes to Chris Rock. And yet I, when he was more direct and simple about it, I felt that that's a great of less is more. Because sometimes here, people hear the voice, people hear the energy, and motivation, and and the before they hear the words. Sometimes when you just just laugh and angry, that's all they hear, and they don't hear anything beyond that. So when he just said, you know, it's just a matter of wanting opportunity, you know, just, again, kind of keying in on what Viola said at the Emmys. Her speech was, was beautiful. It was powerful. It was inspirational. It was aspirational. And that's exactly what she was just trying to, to convey, that the only difference between women of color and everybody else is opportunity. So just, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to beat it over the head, try to keep it simple, I'd say. Because at times, at times, I, while I somewhat enjoyed seeing people in the audience squirm, get a little uncomfortable, feel a at point, I also know that when you keep pushing and pushing and pushing, people stop. They just shut off. Everybody, everybody wants a piece of the pie, okay? Everybody wants a seat at the table so that some way, you know, change can be can be made, enforced. I mean, their ideas can be heard, can be felt and with everybody wants a seat at the table. It doesn't matter if we're talking about white or black or Asian or Hispanic or LGBT, Native American, what have you, all the other categories that, you know, are in there that I haven't mentioned. It's just I feel like as the show progresses, the Oscars, whether you like it or not, it's always been a platform 
a podium with which to speak your heart, speak your mind, address current events, and push an idea or a political agenda, some sort of social change, something. I mean, it's it's a very powerful soapbox, for sure. But as the ratings have indicated, I mean, people are literally tuning out. You know, the whole thing, is the whole pomp and circumstance of it, people half the time haven't even seen any of these movies, haven't even heard of any of these movies, as is, you know, the, the skit that Chris did outside that theater, I think, out in uh, his, his hometown. I mean, I thought that, to a degree, it's a great way to illustrate that you people here in Hollywood, in La La Land, you people here with all the studios and the money to make these movies, to make these projects, you are so out of touch with the reality of what the world is and what it looks like and what it wants, what it wants to see. It wants to see itself, undoubtedly. But I could tell, I could tell, looking at the audience, every time they cut back and forth, you got like two black people here and one over there. and I mean, but you could tell that people were uncomfortable. And just the truth of human nature is that you keep pushing those buttons, people literally mute you. They turn you off. They tune out because there's too many too many things that everybody's trying to push, whether it be, you know, the Oscars so white, you know, whether it be, oh, you know, we need more LGBT, well, well, we need to, you know, we need to address sexual assault amongst women and men in, in college campuses, and we need to do this, and we need to do that, and oh, uh, and I, you could tell, you could tell that after a while, everyone's just like, uh-huh, okay, yeah, absolutely, okay, okay, now get to Leonardo, get to Leonardo DiCaprio, that's what I want to see, that's, that's real stuff, I mean, it's, it's an unfortunate truth, but everybody <laughs> all slighted. We are all diminished in some want to be heard. We're all fighting for attention. And what really, oh, my God, what really bothered me and what was so funny is that you and I we just talked about this. We just talked about an example of where somebody tried to shut me down because I wasn't black. So, therefore, my opinion on the matter didn't count. And we just had that discussion, and less than 12 hours, less than 12 hours after our discussion, after the Oscars, I go on my Twitter, and it's blowing up with everybody at each other's throats, getting defensive. All of a sudden, this POC live on MSNBC. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Typical. Now, now they got us divided. Now they've got us fighting each other, people of color versus non-black people of color. And this really makes I, me sad because now how are we going to get anywhere when we're fighting each other? I want to talk about that. And also, if you could work on your phone a little bit because I think you're kind of fading in and out. I don't know if you're maybe where you're sitting or something, but it's kind of it's not as crisp as it was the last time you were on. Um, okay. I'll, I might have to go back downstairs, but go ahead. Keep Keep talking. Okay. So what I want to do, since we're talking about you, you uh, we're, we're getting into a little bit of the conflict that, that appears to have been created. Um, I want to play a clip about the, the slight with the Asian children on stage. It was Chris Rock putting out this, this uh, 
this joke about accountants, and they were young people, young kids, but they were of Asian descent. And I think the joke actually probably would have worked if it was a multiracial children. Um, but that that joke was based on a stereotype. So the whole issue was roles for people of color that are that that provide an opportunity that are, I would think would not be stereotypical. So it, it seemed to be a bit a bit disingenuous. You know, you can kind of cut your nose to spite your face by going for a cheap laugh. So what I want to do is I want to play this clip for about two minutes. It's a gentleman from the Huffington Post, and Anthony Anthony Berteau, who is conversing with a CNN host about this notion of Asian stereotypes. Uh, now, I think this is interesting to be to note that not only is it not only is it offensive to Asian people, but indirectly, it is it is offensive to other people of color. Even though these, you know, the whole model minority thing has been levied toward um, Asian folk, Asian immigrants specifically, um, but now that's kind of extending to um, Ashkenazi Jews, uh, uh, Nigerians, Ugandans, immigrants. So it's, it's kind of spreading out a little bit. Anyway, the fact that that stereotype can be used to bludgeon to bludgeon other people of color, that is also another dynamic to the, the uh, Asian model minority stereotype. So let's go to this. Just go to this quick clip from CNN, and then we'll unpack. Hold on. Yeah. Um... What was more surprising to me as an Asian American was the response it elicited from the audience members. Um, now, which you have heard previ- um, previously, they a lot of them laughed and applauded, and it really was a proof to me that um, this type of stereotype that Asian Americans are all hardworking and smart is being normalized, and it's something that people have learned to laugh about without really thinking about the consequences of what these stereotypes may mean for Asian Americans and towards Jewish Americans. Let's talk about uh, the consequences, you know, because I've had these conversations with my friends and they're trying to understand, well, it wasn't really an insult, was it? I mean, uh, Asians are good at math. That sounds like a compliment, but of course I had to let them know, no, it's not exactly a compliment. It's perpetuating a stereotype. And you talk about these consequences regarding the quote-unquote model minority myth, which you say has been used as a tool. Uh, to be racist against other groups. Please explain. Um, Yeah. So first of all, the stereotype of Asian Americans is very um, generalizing. And I think when you generalize any particular group of people, um, you're going to run into a couple problems. Um, A lot of people forget that the Asian American community is very diverse. And people often think of Japanese, Northeast Asians as being pertaining to the stereotype. But they often forget that Southeast Asians um, do not often aren't treated to the same stereotype. And in fact, Southeast Asians um, often very much struggle academically. Um, And when stereotypes like this um, paint a broad um, stroke over the Asian American community, it really delegitimizes a lot of the discrimination and struggles that Asian Americans in America face today still. Um, Just as people say that anti-Semitism doesn't exist, people also say that anti-Asian racism doesn't exist. And that's why this stereotype is really problematic. You also Uh, write in your piece, though, that this model minority myth also is used against African-American minorities. Yes. 
Um, what's really interesting about this stereotype coming up now is that previously the model minority stereotype was used in the 60s when racial tensions were at an all-time high and Japanese and Chinese immigrants were used as examples of model minority. And people use these stereotypes um, talking to black Americans, asking them, you know, hey, we have these minorities who worked hard and were educated and um, rose above, you know, discrimination mm -hmm. or you know whatever and have become a model for you guys and in a way using that stereotype very delegitimizes um the black american experience and um the racism and racial discrimination that black americans face today and the perception of asians as being smart as jewish americans as being smart and um, successful often um, is used to support systems of white supremacy and racist views of black americans yeah, they're very interesting points there. Uh, and as, as Chris Rock predicted, uh, reaction on this Asian joke was quite fierce. And I want to go through some of these tweets and get your reaction. Um, at Blake Houndshell said, so we're all upset about the racial makeup of the Oscars, but it's okay to make fun of Asian kids on stage. Another tweeter at Mildly Amused tweets, so that's two jokes at the expense of Asian actors. Don't throw one minority down to raise up another, writers. And another one from at Mina Kimes, and she writes that the joke about the Asian kids would have stung less if there were more Asians on stage tonight. Uh, Anthony, she raises a good point because, uh, you know, Asians are nearly invisible in Hollywood. I found this statistic very eye-opening. USC's Annenberg School for Journalism says 78.2% of lead roles in Hollywood go to whites, 14.3% go to blacks. 3.4% go to others, 2.7% to Latinos, 1.3% of lead roles in Hollywood go to Asians. How can... Okay, I'm going to cut it there because of time constraints, but you get the gist. Um, I'm going to say this quickly, and then I'm going to open it up again uh, to our audience to call the number, as always, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. The gang is all here. Uh, yours truly, D-Bert. Captain Kirk, and our new additive, Claire Lene. Um, you know, I, I mentioned to you before in, in conversation, uh, conversations, Claire, that th this essentially, when you, when, you hear the, when you hear the percentages, it is essentially crumbs being pushed off a table and everybody else is pushing each other, pushing up against each other to go for these crumbs. Someone dictate well we know who the someone is but the or the culture or the corporate culture mainstream culture white corporate culture however you want to explain this uh it, it is a reality that this corporate culture was which has existed forever uh they dictate how this stuff is supposed to go and they move minority folk protected classes like chess pieces and uh, it's pretty evident when you see 14% for black folk, uh, what was it, 70% or 60-something percent for white people, 3% uh, for others, and 1% or 2% for Asian Americans. So someone makes, someone makes the, the decision on who gets what, and those crumbs are pushed off, and there you go. So what are your impressions of this element with the Oscars? I mean, it's not like I was completely shocked 
because like we've been saying, it's a, it's a running theme now. No, it's not surprising. No, why should that surprise me? Of course they would do that. Of course they would say that. Of course they would cast this way. Of course they would make that joke. It's not surprising. It's just disappointing because I'm, hell, I'm impressed with those tweets. Goodness. I mean, they, in 140 characters, they were able to suss out the situation, you know, to its essential point. It's not effective to try to build yourself up by throwing other people under the bus. We're all in this together. We are all in this together. And maybe they thought it was funny. Maybe they thought it's not really an insult. But it's, again, it goes more than that. It goes beyond that, which is what I, this is, this is why the whole thing with the recent casting of, of Iron Fist, and, and I'm trying to get people to understand when they ask me about it, it's not about one character. I am not discussing one character. I'm discussing a mentality that is perpetuated. I'm not talking about Danny Rand. I'm talking about what it symbolizes. It symbolizes, yet again, another opportunity for a lead character, a lead who will have his own TV show to be cast as Asian. I'm not talking about the sidekick, okay? I'm not talking about, you know, the, the walk-on, the manservants, the, you know, the, the monk. Who, I, no, no, I'm, I'm talking about the lead character, the hero of the story. The stakes are higher. So, yes, I'm, I'm looking at the bigger picture and what this represents. Again, another example, Fresh Off the Boat. Do I watch that show? Honestly, not really. I've seen a couple episodes. Not really for me. But am I glad that it's there? Of course I am. Not because of what it is and who's in it and, and the writing and who, because of what it represents. It represents the first TV show with an Asian cast in 20 years. And when I tell people the statistic, 20 years since an Asian cast has, has led something on national television, and people look at me like, oh, really? Really? Oh, I, I didn't notice. Yeah, why would you? Why would you notice? So it's not about being surprised that, that Chris Rock or that the Academy or, or whoever, whatever, proved this joke. I'm not, I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed because how, how are you going to have this whole thing? And I mean the whole three and a half hour show. Okay. Not just a monologue, not just a sketch, the whole damn show. You are banging it over these white people's heads about diversity, diversity, diversity. And then you crap on us. Come on. We're in this together. We have to be in this together to move up. I mean, I, I just, I don't know what else to say. And people say, oh, well, why are you so mad about, you know, that and this and the other when what happened with Doctor Strange and that and the ancient one? It's not, again, you got look look beyond that and understand not just from a comic book historical point of view, look at it from a Hollywood media political correctness or semblance of point of view. Am I shocked that they change ancient one from an Asian man to an androgynous white woman? No, of course I'm not shocked. I understand the politics of it. 
like most comic book materials, like most scripts in general in Hollywood, it quickly turns into a sausage fest. And you need to include at least one more female character. You got to get one more chick in there. Come on, guys. It can't be a woman of color. Oh, no, no. We already have too much color. We got Chiwetel Ejiofor. We got Benedict Wong. We can't have another minority. Oh, no. It's full house, full house. So it's going to be a white woman. And, yes, she is a name. And, yes, she's very talented. And, yes, she's British. So, therefore... You know, they all work, okay? Hell, I, I want to move to London just to see if I can try to get some of that to rub off on me. They all work <laughs> when you're British. It's like automatic, okay? I mean, I it's so hilarious to, a, to me that... But I'm I, I sorry, go, go to ahead. A, that's okay. I, I want to go to a, uh, a musical break. And when we get back, um, again, we have quite a few callers on hold. Um Folks, if you'd like to join in, remember, because I know some of our listeners uh, listen by their cell phones, if you'd like to join in the conversation, just simply press 1 so we know that you'd like, that you'd like to join into the conversation. Uh, again, we're talking about the Oscars, but we're going to talk about a number of issues that are tangentially connected to the Oscars. Uh, Melissa Harris-Perry loses her show, or rather she walks off of her MSNBC show. And uh, to kind of wax about this a little bit further, Claire, and to the and to Catherine, of course. Um, I think a lot of of your anger or, or frustration. I don't want to necessarily you say anger, but frustration. All of our frustration. Uh, I think we're talking about an immobile object with racism or um, th- th- this 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 inability to 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 be open-minded, this closed-mindedness that we're, that we're talking about, I think you're going to have to create your own opportunity. You know, when I heard Chris Rock say that all we, all we want is an opportunity, what happens if they don't give you that opportunity? Because they're not giving it to you. I mean, you can't, at some point, you can't just continue to wait, to wait for an opportunity. You're going to have to create that opportunity. Um, so we'll talk about that. And, 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 and again, I want to talk about this dovetailing off of the Oscars in the same realm with this Melissa Harris-Perry deal with her walking off her, off her show because she thought it was really her show. We'll talk about this. I don't, think, I don't think she realized it was really, really wasn't her show. Okay, let's go to a, uh, a quick groove. This is The Gods of Science. Featuring the coup and Vernon Reed. Give me about two minutes, we'll be right back. Let's groove. More Urban Alternative Groove.
course, quarter eyed it and pumped through the karate. Many body got it and patch pill a tonic. Get your credit card slotted and sign it on a dotted. Billionaires have squatted on the magna cum laude. Hollis take my wallet, make the people robotic. Catatonic or harmonic with what they've been allotted. And methodically they plotted against those who fought it. Hold to these a hundred, cause the money bag knotted and drops the thought product of a Harvard grad upon it. Dollar turn the table, boardroom and periodic. Listen to the sonnets going through your electronics. You could catalog it as harmonic or atomic. How's it never went up? I'm in my turn into solids. Some pray to the Christ, like the Buddha of Muhammad. Some pray to the crack of a rich man's pocket. The biggest advance was slumming to the profits. Now the scientific process got hijacked for profits. Flows in the direction that a silver spoon product will get signs for the people when we run the economics. Brown family, good afternoon, your black world family. This is Yvette Carnell, and you already know what I want to talk about today. It is something that I have predicted for a very long time. Um, Melissa Harris Perry is, it looks like she may be out. She says she's not coming. She doesn't want to be anybody's mammy. She is not some little brown doll. And a long time ago, if you all will remember Breaking Brown family, your black world family, I said there was going to be a purge of the Negro whisperers, of the black explainers um, on 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 MSNBC. And, you know, to a, to a larger extent, you know, everywhere, because these people were only needed while the Brown president was in office. So long as Obama was in office, we needed someone to say, what are the Negroes thinking? What is the Negro president saying? Can you explain that? Interpret the Negro for us. And nobody needs that anymore. So when Obama, the, the, the way Melissa Harris Perry and Torrey, you know, and, and, you know, Joy Reid had a show at one time, um, does, does Dorian Warren, the little guy, does he still have his show? I don't think so. You you had even Karen Finney had a show. You saw Al Sharpton get moved over to the weekends. It was even before all this stuff started happening, though, I told you that we were going to have a purge of the Negro whisperers. We were going to have a purge of these people because they were only needed for a black president. We're not going to have a black president anymore. We're, we're either going to have probably Hillary Clinton or, or Donald Trump the way things are, are looking right now if they turn out the way we think they're going to turn out. So, you know, 
why does MSNBC need Melissa Harris Perry? They already have Rachel Maddow in case, you know, Hillary Clinton gets elected. They have a centrist white woman, you know, uh, 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 almost, you know, uh, Eisenhower centrist in, 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 in Rachel Maddow. They don't need Melissa Harris Perry. They don't need Torrey. These people were good in terms of the demographic of the person that was in the White House. And we'll probably never have a, another black president in our lifetime. So that's pretty much that's pretty much finished. And, you know, I saw Melissa Harris Perry. I read the, the New York Times article. I put up a blurb about it, um, you know, on, on BreakingBrown.com, along with the email that she sent her people at Nerdland. And there was something, there was one thing that she said that really struck out to me. She said, I love our show. I want it back. Well, here's the thing, Melissa Harris Perry. It was never our show. It was MSNBC's show. And they gave you some time and create a platform for you for as long as they needed you. And they paid you a good little amount of money to do that. That's it. There is no hour. Well, I mean, let me, let me just say this. Any, any black person who, and I'm not, everybody has, you know, most people have to work a job. So I'm not criticizing anybody who works a job. I see nothing wrong with having to work a job. That's just the life we live. But any black person who works a job and thinks, you know, at a, at a company that is a white company and thinks that they have some sort of security, is a white person. You are a white person, or you think you're a white person. If you go to a white job and you think you have job security, you obviously think you're a white person, and that's the problem because you don't have job security. You are there for as long as whoever owns that company thinks you should be there, and they gave you a nice salary, Melissa Harris-Perry. They didn't have to do any of that. They gave you a nice salary for as long as you were there to, to sort of tell black people about how wonderful Obama was and then interpret Obama for white people who act like they didn't understand Obama as if o Obama spoke E.T. or something, as if he's some sort of alien who doesn't speak the Queen's English. But that's fine. You know, I you, you took what you took. I would not have done it, but you did it, and that's fine. I would, you know, and if I... That's it. For the moment, uh, again, time constraints. That was Yvette Carnell, who we're working to get on the show. She works under Dr. Boyce Watkins' tutelage on his YouTube channel. She's quite a fire firecracker herself, uh, and she also runs BreakingBrown.com. BreakingBrown.com, and I had to um, pull the audio for our audience with her waxing about this latest upheaval at MSNBC. But M MSNBC has let go a, a number of minority folk. Um, I think, what's the young lady's name? Uh, Alex? Ugh, I can't remember her last name. Um, I think she may be on the on the auction block. Uh, but there have been a number of, fa of faces. Uh, Ture, he's gone. So I think that Ms. Carnell's analysis is very sound that she used the term Negro whisperers, which I found very funny. But that's probably exactly what's going on here, that you had a, a president of color uh, first time, and uh, you needed a minority, minority fixtures to balance that out. And now that his, he's about to close shop at, toward the end of the year, um, we don't need you. So uh, let me go to Cap, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pass it around the horn. Cap, what are your thoughts about, uh, Dr. Melissa Harris Perry. You know, we've mentioned her before quite a few times on the show. Um, I liked her positioning at MSNBC. Um, our compatriot Jamie Broadnax, she was on the, the broadcast for representing the whole blurred thing on her Nerdland show. And, and, and the fact that she had a Nerdland segment, I thought there's some things that were going on with her 
psychologically, her 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 style maybe uh, maybe a bit too emotional. There were some some ancillary things with Dr. Perry that I really wasn't fond of, but I wouldn't want her to lose her job. Um, so so what's going on here? What's the deal? First, first things first, let's expound upon what she said briefly, all right, briefly. No one has job security regardless of race in 2016. Let's understand that, all right? That has nothing to do with your race. You have lesser job security when you are a minority, yes, but no one in 2016 has job security. That's just a fact of the situation when you work any kind of job, corporate America or anything else. That's just what it is. Now, everything else she said, I totally agree with. Totally agree with. I totally agree with. Totally agree with. But here's the other side of the equation. TV shows, just as in with music and film, it is a hit-driven business. If you have the hit, people will cater to you. That's the reality of it, all right? If the numbers are there for whatever reason, you could, have, you could be terrible. You could be a terrible speaker. You could be a total menstrual, total miscreant. If you have the numbers, somehow they will manage to be able to keep you. She really didn't have the numbers. She never really had the numbers from go. So that even makes more sense what this woman was saying. You were just in there just during the time for the black president. So there you have it, my friend. Back over to you, Afro Nerd. That's my analysis one on the quick, situation. And just one quick thing also. Again, Dr. Perry felt that she was being slighted because her show was being uh, preempted. preempted. I think it was preempted, preempted way too many times, for her, at least for her comfort level, because of yes. this being election season. And, and, and again, you know, Dr. Perry is an academic. I mean, she, she, she does have intellectual heft she's a a relatively young woman but you know she she's from she's from uh i believe virginia i think she was born in seattle but i think she's was raised in virginia and um she has a degree a a phd in political science but she and i think she went to wake forest university but i I know that she teaches as probably i think as an adjunct professor but she teaches at uh, wake forest university um, so, I mean, someone of that, someone of that academic rigor should be able to, you know, let's say her show was preempted to talk about the election. Then she, her show's preempted and you have her discuss, you know, I, I'm, you know, I've seen that a million times. The show, your, your, your direct show is preempted, but as a personality, you are brought in to, to discuss what's going on politically because this is an event and we understand that this is, you know, this is election year, and uh, maybe her show had to be preempted. But I think she she saw that as well. First, they didn't. I don't believe they asked asked her to be a contributor uh, when her show was preempted for the political stuff, and they just shut her down while this political stuff was going on. They didn't ask her to, to be a contributor. So it, it happened one too many times, and I guess it was maybe a not so subtle way to get her out there. But she kind of. You know, you you're always taught not to burn your bridges. So you know, she left it in a kind of a wild way because she, you know, they took her show away. But you know, I'll let Claire speak on this, but I, I'll also close up with my thoughts 
Um, Claire, what are your thoughts about this? This, I feel, dovetails off of, again, you know, you have a woman of color with her own show, but it's, 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 it's brief. You know, the higher-ups decided to take the rug from underneath her. So what are your thoughts about what's going here, going on here? I mean, this is tricky because because if your if your uh, product hinges on the existence or success of someone else's tenure or career, then it should already have been anticipated, as Yvette had, you know, predicted. That at a certain point, if you if you're being real about it, if you are aware of who your audience is and why you got the job and why you were placed, why you were positioned as you were to be, I mean, I think that Negro whisperer term is hilarious, but but of sorts, of sorts, it's not something that I couldn't have anticipated that they would hire people of color to be a liaison, to be the bridge in communications towards a black audience and a white audience, towards, you know, middle America in, in I guess, <laughs> translating. I mean, I never heard the president speak Ebonics, so I'm a little confused by that. But, but okay, all right. I mean, it trickles down. It trickles down that, yes, while for the two terms, eight years, President Barack Obama is, you know, the top of the mountain, that down the line you are going to have to put in place other people of color to bridge the gap between the higher-ups and then the rest of us. So I don't know if, again, it just goes back to being, are we surprised? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say we could have seen this coming. Am I going to say that it's right? I'm not really sure. To be honest with you, I haven't seen a whole lot of her show or what she, you know, brings to the table. The fact that you mentioned Nerdland, well, that definitely piqued my curiosity. Um, but I I don't know. I feel like I probably, to be honest, perhaps I don't have enough information. Perhaps she felt slighted. She felt that, you know, she's taking this very personally. And I can't blame her. I would be upset if I kept getting bumped off the air and if I wasn't invited to participate in, you know, the correspondence of all these new um, electorates and, and votes and, and the count-in. I, yeah, that's, it's a big deal. And she's already feeling the, the, the exclusion that she's being slowly pushed out and she's upset about it. And I, I don't know if I would necessarily walk off the show and expect that they'd come back, but I um, I feel for her. I feel for. Her. Well, wait, you know what? With her, I, I gotta I gotta mention this, and this this is some stuff that you know she she, she has been um, parodied parodied or, or clowned um, for because she she's had the show for a couple of years. Um, I think I think the show could have been something special. Perhaps to some people it already was. I mean, I, I don't necessarily – it didn't necessarily do it for me, but I, I was in and, in and out of the show. I didn't look at it uh, as 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 uh, frequently as you would think. On any show that, that has, like, Nerdland as a segment, 
all of us would probably be all over that thing. If it really was a true Nerdland segment, um, it was it was mixed in with a lot of politispeak, um, and that might have been an issue because you know we spoke about this before. Uh, I prefer to hear more nuanced discussion. I don't, I'm not really comfortable with agenda discussion because it's it's so one sided, and you can see the non sequiturs. You you know you can hear the non sequiturs that you you become like okay what do I you know I'm, I'm listening to an infomercial, so. But I, I appreciate the aesthetic of her there and the Nerdland thing. And also shouting out Jamie Broadnax from Black Girl Nerds. She was a, she was a, a panelist um, late last year, obviously, because of the New York Comic Con thing. So anything that highlighted, you know, the, the, the blurred issue thing going on, you know, deconstructing um, mainstream nerdism, if I'm going to say that correctly, anything that does that, I thought, you know, we're getting close. I thought we were getting close. But my issue with her, I've mentioned her, mentioned her before. Um, you know, she, she, she caused a stir that went viral when she critiqued someone on her panel for using the term hard worker. She said, well, you know, uh, black people were hard workers, we were slaves. And the gentleman was just using hard worker as like you would say, well, so-and-so is a hard worker. You can't say that's a hard worker. You can't use that term. I mean, it was... It's the it's the it's when we talk about SJWs, the acronym Social Justice Warrior. It it, it comes off as if it's political political correctness on steroids. So so, so much to the point that if you you use an innocuous term like hard worker, that is a problem. So she's done stuff like that, where you look where people you know normal people looking in are like what. What's going on? Uh, she she also threw shade toward Mitt Romney's adopted black child. Uh, you know she, the fact that he was the lone child of color in a you know with white with a white family. Although she was raised similarly, but she forgot that because the agenda was the agenda was something else. Once once the agenda is in once the agenda is in full effect, you are blinded. You have blinders on because you you have an agenda. Um, she, and then when 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 uh, Romney's people called her out on it, she had a breakdown on a breakdown on air as if she was fearful of losing her job. Then we have callers. I'm going to go to the call, but I want to say this one thing, and then we'll go to the, to the call. Um, my main issue, which also goes back to Os- to the Oscars and everything, if you're not going to create your opportunity, you need to at least create a foundation leading toward an opportunity. If, you, if you're not going to create it from jump, you, you may have to work for someone. All of us have, have, have been in positions where, where you have to work for someone. If that is the case, you go there and you learn that business from top to bottom. And in the case of a media business where she could have easily really branded MHP, Melissa Harris, Melissa Harry, Harris Perry, the branding should be should be in full effect. The analytics should have been in full effect, just like Howard Stern was able to leave terrestrial radio and literally take his business elsewhere. He took his business to Sirius, and any time there's talk or any funny business with the, the folks at Sirius, he intimates I can go to five or five or, five or ten different outlets. 
Adam Carolla did this. Adam Carolla was a terrestrial was a terrestrial radio host. He had a large following or or, or a sizable fund. Even the following is is questionable. He had a sizable enough following to totally, um, re, I guess, reinvent podcasting. The, the fact that what we're doing now, I have to give it up to to uh, Adam Carolla. Adam Carolla has been able to to finance or, or seek fin- financial gain through podcasting, leaving Terrestrial Radio because he was able to create a brand and a business and an audience. So for her to leave in a huff and cry because you took you took my show away, if it was really your show, you're supposed to be able to lift up that show and go to whatever outlet you want to go to. I hope I hope she's actually able to do that. But the way she acted, it didn't come off that way. And she was there long enough to create that foundation. Let's go to the phones. 703. Welcome to the Midweek in Review. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. I think this is Bison. This is Bison for like calling from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. How are you, how's everyone doing? Pretty good. How's it Pretty going, good, man? Okay. DMV in the house. Yes, um, a, a great subject. Hey, before I get into my usual rant and diatribe, hey, um, Alpha Nerd, I'm looking at your website, man. $34 for an iPhone case? Well, what's going on, man? That's kind of expensive. Listen, man, if you put that iPhone case on your phone, it will increase your cognition tenfold. I promise you. <laughs> no. If I put well, what, that iPhone case on my iPhone, I will throw it out the window. But anyway. Well, you can always get, or you can always get another one. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, you know, I know you're working on it. I'm not going to wreck it. We're working on it, man. Trust but, me. But a couple things. Um First on the Academy, on the Oscars, look what Chris Rock did. He literally critiqued his profession in front of an audience of his peers and millions in his own way. I've been following him for over thirty years. Um, you know, he was doing comedy, you know, opening for shows when nobody was there, and I would see him. That was the Chris Rock I remember. So very few people can hold a mirror up to their profession, call them out on it, and hit them with a lot of nuance. Now, some of it fell flat, and some of it was over the top. And I think in a couple of days, he'll, he'll backtrack some of it. But that's what you get when you put comics. That's why they like comics to host uh, uh, shows like that, because they can tend to dance on their feet, throw subject matter out. You know, some of it's going to stick, some of it's not going to stick. Um, but I just want to put this out before, you know, a lot of people won't know. You had an African-American host. The president of the academy is African-American, even though the um, position rotates. Reginald Hudland was in charge of production. Fatima Robinson was in charge of the choreography and dance. And you had an African-American um, band leader. The stars are not going to align like that anymore. Now, was it window dressing? Yes, it was, probably. Because at the end of the day, Hollywood is about relationships. It's about, you know, who, you know, did you brush me, brush me off when we was at the Palm last week? Or, hey, he's a good guy, worked with him on this TV show series five years ago, I'll vote for him. 
So it's 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 about exclusion, but it's about relationships because people of color just are not in the room. And we gotta get in the room to form those relationships. So I'll stop there. On Melissa Harris Perry I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. No, Melissa Harris Perry, you know, me and you have sparred on this many a time. At the end of the day she was a hired hand. She brought a uniqueness to Sunday morning talk because she made her shows the most diverse. I think what kind of doomed the show was one, it became almost a shill for the administration. And that's nothing mm-hmm. new. I mean, Fox does the same thing on the other end. And liberal talk and liberal stations just don't get traction through advertising and make money. And now they're just purging all their broadcasts of a call. I think it's Alex Wagner you was talking about. Right. Basically, Alex Wagner, doomed. right. And Who's I married to? I mean, isn't she married to the White House White House uh, chef? I don't know. I think so. But go ahead. I don't. Know. And um, the gentleman from Miami who hosts, they say his shows in limbo, and they've hired um, they've hired um, I think Cruz has fired um, PR person some other people. So they they're taking a rightward tilt. Where they're taking their um, they're reading the tea leaves with. Um, what CNN is doing, because it's all Trump all day, every day, because that's ad dollars. But I think Melissa Harris-Perry started off well. It was diverse. She brought a lot of academics of various, um, not only just various races, but various um, orientations and various, you know, points of view. It might have been off-putting to a lot of people, but it brought that point of view to a wider audience. But at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. If the numbers aren't up, they're going to move you in and bring in something that will bring in the numbers. But um, it's easier to say get your own platform, and this is where me and you may tangle. I think she just go online like Elon James and some other people just launch their own news networks online. I think journalism in the mainstream media is basically dead. And if you want racial or subject-specific Platforms, I think online is probably the place to go because mainstream media, they just have a whole different agenda. Well, uh, I don't think we're in too much of a disagreement with that. I mean, what I, what I meant uh, with creating an audience, creating a brand, and moving it elsewhere, the Internet is not withstanding. Um, listen, we do, we do our thing on the Internet. And uh, now, you know, there's, there was always that thirst – I should say now, but before there's always been that thirst about going mainstream, going mainstream, going mainstream. But now with streaming services, there are so many different mediums to get information now. And actually to get to the people, it's questionable if mainstream is where it's at because I know when it comes down to looking at Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel clips, Jimmy Fallon clips, I'm more for the Internet to get a snapshot of what happened as opposed to being able to see when these things, see these things when they actually air. I don't know anyone, I mean, honestly, I don't know anyone in the modern era that's actually looking at things when they broadcast. And I think that the, the powers that be, they're still reluctant to adjust to that model. I mean, I look at the Flash when I want to look at the Flash. I don't necessarily have to look at the Flash well, let me be honest. I look at The Flash, actually, because I'm, I'm obsessed with that show. That's, like, the only show 
<laughs> that's the only show I look at at the appropriate time. But other than that, I told you, Claire, I got an honesty gene. Uh, other than that. No, I love it. I love it. But you're right. You're right. Appointment, appointment TV is dead. And what killed it? Streaming. Only, because why? Why do I have to? I think, I think the only thing that's holding it up is sports, live sports. Everything else yeah, sports I is agree that. with. Sports is until they find a way Agreed. to Agreed. crack that nut, then that's keeping cable from totally falling apart. If, I mean, they, they did a game with Yahoo. They, they did a total NFL game from London on Yahoo. They had about 50 million viewers. I think that's the last frontier. Once that's gone, cable will be gone as we know it. That's the only thing holding cable and mainstream television afloat. I, I got to mention this because it, I, I'm just thinking of this as an example. Dan Abrams was a newscaster on MSNBC. And, again, behind the scenes, Dan Abrams owns Mediaite. Now, Mediaite is one of those websites that actually shows news clips of, of stuff that's going on throughout the course of the day that, that probably at more than 50% of, of, the, of the audience are not able to look at this stuff when, they, when, they, when they're airing. So he, has, he developed a website that encapsulates all these clips of news, news uh, reports or um, interviews. Like if, if, you, if you see, I don't know, uh, Trump being interviewed by, by Bill O'Reilly and you, you missed that episode, it will be on his website. So... Dan Abrams, who used to be on MSNBC, now he's a web entrepreneur, web entrepreneur, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, a web entrepreneur. And uh, I know a few years ago, the analytics on Mediaite were about 7 million hits a month. That was like 2000, I don't know, 10 or 11. So now it's 2016. I can imagine what the analytics are for Mediaite. So I know he's making a hell of a lot more money with his own imprint on the internet than when he was behind the chair of MSNBC Studios. Now, Melissa Harris-Perry, she should be able, I would think, to to do something similarly for people of color, especially, again, with the, the, the my co-discussants as we're talking. This whole diversity thing is, is us. She should be doing that. Hell, Will Ferrell created uh, Funny or Die or was one of the partners behind Funny or Die, a comedy, a comedy website. Funny or Die has a valuation of over $300 million. So when Dave Chappelle left his show, because I think he freaked out over $50 million. I mean, I don't, we can speculate why he left the show, whatever the reason was. But mind you, Will Farrell creates a website his own imprint, his own brand, and the valuation is more than a quarter of a billion dollars, a website. So you mean to tell me that you can't have Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, um, uh, um, Kevin Hart, and a few other communities of uh, – hell, you can have uh, Aziz involved. These cats get together and do a minority version of 
I mean, why am I thinking of this stuff? I mean, we can't continue to play dumb anymore. And those people have money and access to start some of this stuff. But the issue is, I'd rather shine. Melissa Harris Perry was more invested in shining. She was screaming off that show <laughs> like a wild banshee because oh, no. I lost my show. I lost my <laughs> show. Give me my show back. On I'm air? Like, where's my tr- I, I I don't know. I know she sent out letters. I don't know if there's an actual. He's pontificating. Just just ride yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm on. I'm on. I'm on to something. I don't know. Oh my I don't know if she literally left like a wild banshee. I don't know. But the, the letter so you she wrote. Are you saying this because why? I'm saying it because she wrote a letter calling out her higher ups. And she did say, you took my show away, and I want it back. Give me my candy. I want it back. She's what I call a charming negress. Hold on. Excuse me, Captain Kurt. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Scott. The charming negress. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> okay. Okay, I was going to jump in before, but now that you're really just uh, going in and really painting a picture for me, whether it be entirely based on facts or entirely based on your interpretation of the facts. But here's what I'm hearing. In terms of her, you know, you, you know, when you walk away from a job or when your tenure ends with a particular corporation and it's time to move on, whether it be by choice or not, what are your options? Obviously, your options are better or more favorable if you leave on a decent, doesn't have to be positive, doesn't have to be all, you know, hugs and kisses, but if you leave on a decent note. Now, if you're telling me that she is carrying on and just, like, crying and screaming and hollering about, you took this away from me, give it back, you have you have wronged me, oh, my goodness, no, okay, see, It'll be a minute before we'll see her in the next job, whatever that may be, hosting another show on another network or another uh, basic cable platform, what have you, okay? But before that, before we get to seeing her continue on what she was trying to do, which from what I'm hearing started out quite positive and diverse and, you know, inclusive, which is what I'm always excited to hear. I like to hear about things that are inclusive, not divisive. Okay, so before we talk about that and whether or not she's going to be able to do that elsewhere, especially the way things ended so publicly, so nastily, before that, just carrying, you know, tagging on to what someone already had mentioned about job security. And regardless of who you are and what you do, whether it be the CEO or you know, checker, you know, or, you know, McDonald's. The the point is, is that you are replaceable. No matter what you do, you are replaceable. So, like we all have, and like we all do possibly right now at this moment, we work for somebody. We under someone else's supervision. We have to support to hire Sad as it is, 
And trust me, I've seen it happen so many times. And even within myself, and even when I was dealing with a female boss, the thing is, is that even upon hiring, whether it be for, you know, being the token bobblehead liaison, person of color, whatever it is, whether it be on merit, you have to keep in mind that they are waiting, they are waiting for you to give them a reason to get rid of you. Yes. And if you're getting all explosive and emotional and unprofessional and getting all wild in the middle of an interview or getting all defensive or trying to jump down somebody's throat or whatever, right in the middle of a broadcast, right in the middle of a segment, you don't think that they're keeping score? You don't think that that's a tally in the column against you? So I'm just, you know, before we even get to her, whether or not she's going to continue on with these, these interesting stories or segments or interviews elsewhere, and whether or not that might take some time for people to kind of let this whole thing cool and settle and be forgotten, the point is is that when you have a job, when you have yet to fully um, initiate or launch your own brand to where you don't have to answer to somebody else because it's not somebody else that is keeping the lights on, then regardless, I mean, conduct yourself. I'm not saying kowtow. I'm not saying bend over and don't, I'm not saying be a puppet. I'm not saying be the token black person that they, you know, want you to be and how to behave. I'm saying, I'm just saying, do what you do and say what you must say, but you must conduct yourself. Let me tell you, man, you just, I mean, don't give them reasons. Don't give them reasons to get rid of you because they will happily do so. And not with I'm, second I'm going thought. To, I'm looking at our chat room, and I remember this. I mean, this, this is, she, she actually had uh, a fit. You know, there was, the, the Internet blew up. I'm looking at our friend Cassius Harris. She says she went out, uh, she, she sent out a bunch of crazy tweets. Listen, the Twitter game is a dangerous thing because people have been fired. I think, wasn't there a woman a few years ago that was fired mid-flight because she said something wacky about Africans while traveling to Africa? She said something wacky in mid-flight, tweeting about it, and folks, were, don't, folks forget that when you tweet something, you're tweeting it literally as a global thing. And she was fired before she set, set ground, before she landed. So this woman, who was kind of wacky about her positioning at MSNBC, she sent out tweets, she sent out this, a letter to her bosses, uh, a, a kiss, kiss my ass, pardon my French, kiss my ass letter. So, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, but you you, you, you got to be a critical thinker. That's one thing we emphasize tremendously at AfroNerd, is that you, you have to figure out a way. You must, you must figure out a way to control your emotions so you can think clearly. What, what is the thing I'm always saying, Captain? Um, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. So, again, a fool will do something with great grave immediacy. But someone who's thinking, an angel will, 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 
will be fearful of that. And I think that's how many folks should be trying to conduct themselves. But, you know, again, I, I, I like her position. I had problems with her behavior. I thought she was a little nutty. But she did have a segment called Nerdland. I kind of dug the Nerdland thing. But unfortunately, you know, if you're going to do something like that, you better have a you better have a real a real uh, awareness of what you're able to bring to the game. But I don't feel so sorry for Dr. Harris. I mean, she is an academic. I think she still has her gig at Wake Forest University. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't doubt that she's on the speaking circuit. She'll be able to make a handsome living. Uh, but you know, it's always nice to have a show. But I think she she liked that she liked the shine of the show, just like. A lot of those, a lot of a lot of folks who are caught up in this Oscar thing to go to kind of dovetail back on that is they're caught up in the shine of that Oscar statue. Well, you need to be more concerned about the shine of the nickels and the coins and the dollars going into your bank account for having a sustained career. Get get your career going first. Worry about shining later. It is what it is. Absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. And the the thing is, is that we can't worry so much about the end game. Don't worry about the end game. Don't worry about the Golden Globe and the Oscar and the Emmy. Don't worry about that type of finish line where you can just put your hands up in the air like you can marry Tyler Moore. No. Slow down. Before we get there, okay, we need to have more product. I mean, the problem is, is that when they come back at us, like, oh, what, you think we should just nominate a person of color just because, even if they don't deserve it? What, you should, we should just nominate right along? And the thing is, is that they, you know, everybody is now a lawyer. Everybody frames their argument in a way to where the other person automatically loses. Because that's not what we're saying. That is not, that was never the point. But the issue is statistics. Yes, I mean, we're not. We're not in there. We're not in the game because we don't have enough movies out there, movies in which we get to be the lead. We get to be the hero. We get to be the storyteller. We're just the token. We're just and, and the one other thing. I gotta, We're the friend. i got to mention this. i got to mention this. Well, we mentioned it before. Nate Parker, actor Nate Parker, uh, he went out. It took three years of his time. See, Again, it goes back to the heavy lifting, and I, and I want to segue to Trump, which again kind of dovetails off of this uh, with what's going on culturally in our society. But Nate Parker, actor Nate Parker, took it upon himself to do the heavy lifting and to garner, what, I think a $20 million deal for um, Birth of a Nation, which is going to be a story of the Nat Turner revolt. So... Uh, he's, he was able to go to I don't know what was it um, Kirk was it Sundance or was it uh, was it um, uh, what's it called in, in France was it in France I can't, I can't Can. remember where, where Cannes Cannes yeah anyway he he was able to garner that deal famously but he took he took the he did the heavy he took three years to do this thing by himself he wrote it but he got twenty million dollars for it. He did the heavy lifting, and look what he got. And that's his project. I mean, he he you know he went to the, went to investors. He did what he had. He took he took the time, the the the, the actual sweat and tears they, for what for, for for what he had to do. Matter, matter of fact, I got to say one quick thing. I, I got to find this. Well, I don't have the clip now, but I'll find it. 
I took out a, an isolated, I isolated a clip of Chris Rock a few months ago because he's he's really been on this diversity thing for a minute anyway. I think he was he he, he uh, had an article I think maybe Vanity Fair or some magazine a few months ago that spoke about this this color issue in in Hollywood. And Chris Rock ha- has always been very plain speaking or plain spoken. And he and he said uh in an interview in a um a interview on a radio show when he was asked, "Well, why do you think aren't do aren't yada yada yada? Why aren't they why aren't they more present?" He had said some of it. Now, this is being honest, breaking the fourth wall, which many people don't want to do. He said, "He said, well, you know what? A lot of this is nerd work." It's like, and I, that's exactly what he said. To be able, oh, I remember to you did mention this. He, yes, he he said this is nerd work, and. As an Afro nerd, <laughs> uh, you so many of us don't even want to use that word. It's only recently that nerd has become less of a pejorative. But many hey, people, um, even cross, even can I, can even I step cr- in real quick, one, one second. Many of us, even cross racially, don't want to do the heavy lifting. Nate Parker did the heavy lifting. Now we had ten of these jokers or more, doing the heavy lifting like he did, this would turn things around. Ultimately, this is going to have to happen, and I think it's already kind of sort of happening behind the scenes. You're going to have to create your own opportunity because these people are not invested in giving you that opportunity. Okay, Bison. I want to um, jump in real quick about you talking about the um, nerd work. About 10 years ago, maybe more, it was maybe in the early aughts or maybe the late 90s, Chris Rock saw that, and he wanted to launch an initiative, sort of like a second city, because he felt the problem there was just not enough African American writers in the pipeline. So right. he launched an initiative at Howard to have sort of a HBCU version of Second City, sort of like right. a beta of writers. And I kind of, I think it started and it kind of just petered out for one reason or the other. And you know, so. He's he he addressed this years ago, and you know I don't know the reasons what happened. I, I can't speak to that. I can dig it out. But you're right. I mean, it is it is the hard work. It is the nerd work. And another thing, we're not behind the scenes. I'm not going to say everybody won because there are. Um, I I grew up with people who are in the business still. You know who I went to college with and. People do sabotage careers now. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go out on the range with this, and you know, and let's, let's not make it out. You know, she was just snapping fingers and, you know, doing a stereotypical, you know, black girl thing and walked out the door. That's not true. What happened? She, you know, they were preempting her show without notice for election coverage. Um, you know, for um, caucuses and various primaries and not informing her and she was staying at the in the hotels in Iowa and other places when they were using um on air talent who had no political background. But she felt slighted because she had a PhD in political science and, you know, she felt she had a grasp of politics and felt that, 
you know, her point of view, you know, if they're going to preempt her show, at least they should at least, you know, ask her commentaries on either run-up to primaries or the aftermath of primaries. Yeah, that's what we said earlier. That's exactly know, what we said. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just nuancing because it's sort of, we kind of, uh, you know, it's almost like a picture is being painted. I just want to make sure that that's, that's said. I mean, the woman's an academic, and that's that's what she got to start, and that's what she's probably going to have her in. And, you know, this is just, you know, you know, like the television, cable news, most people on air are not journalists, and she's not a journalist. She's an academic, and she's going to go back to academics and write her books and do whatever. I mean, we may not even hear from her again. So I just want to make sure that was sort of reiterated, but I also want to reiterate that there have been some African-American um, people in front of the camera who felt the need to go behind the camera. Now, one last thing, there are African-American-owned streaming services and networks. There's about five African-American-owned networks, Aspire, Bounce, TV One. I think I'm missing one or two others, and I know Kuali TV is a streaming service. So they're out there. And, you know, but like you said, I mean, a lot of people don't want to be entrepreneurs. They want to be employees. They'd rather be highly paid employees than struggling entrepreneurs and owners. So that's 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 the dichotomy we're dealing with. And I, I'll end with that. But I just want to make sure I put that out there in regards to um, – especially from the writer's perspective, because I think what, what, what we see in front, we have got to get a, I'd rather see more behind the scenes. We see, I've seen enough actors, tap dancers, minstrels, singers, rappers, you know, if, if I don't see no more, I'm happy because I've seen them all. I want to see more directors. I want to see more producers. producers. I want to see creative content, Investors. key grip, invest, whatever. I want to see that from African-American and other communities because we're going to have to create our own images. If we continue this hat in hand begging to the networks, you know, they're going to, they're going to throw crumbs and then when they're tired of you, they're going to move you over. Cause I mean, I mean, and another thing is even worse than the racism is the ageism in movies and television. I mean, you know, you can't, if you're a woman, you can't, if after 30, they throw you out, you know, throw you out to dry. So I just want to make sure, I got that point across. Duly noted. Excellent synopsis, sir, as always. Uh, I want to go to a, a groove, actually, and, um, you know, that's part of the Afro machinery here. When we get back, I want to, I want to uh, get the gang uh, again passing the horn around. Let's talk about Trump. <laughs> uh, this, this, this inability. I, I hate for this to be like a race because I don't really do race all the time on our show, but um, it's kind of unavoidable. With Donald Trump and his, his and his inability to disavow David Duke and this whole thing about about not knowing what white supremacy is, uh, if that is true, he truly lives a blissful life. Not to know or have, have ever heard of white supremacy. I think I heard of white supremacy as soon as as soon as I stepped foot out of out of uh, my mother's womb. So. <laughs> We'll, we'll we'll see. We gotta we gotta talk about this this gentleman. Um, I, I'm a bit confused by it. I I, I don't I don't believe him, but um, it seems not to matter. 
I think he has 49% of the of the Republican electorate that seem to believe, seem to say that it's okay not to not to not to know or to say that you don't know. All right. Anyway, more herb alt groove. Um, I'm going to go to MF Doom featuring the Gorillas. November has come. Not quite yet. <laughs> you may not want November to come this quickly. We'll be right back. Let's groove. Slow it down some, no split, clown bum, your old hit sound dumb, hold it now, crown them, where you found them at, got them round town, could have drowned in it, would have floated, bloated, loaded, sugar-coated, loaded, hip shooter, draw for the poor, free coffee at the banks, hit through the straw, none more for me, thanks, that blanks the roar, that dank short stank lit, tank past the pit for more hardcore prank spit, crank it on blast, roll past front street, blew the whole spot like some old ass with skunk meat, these kids is too fast, too off a junk tree, who could get looser off a crunk or a funk beat? Something is starting today. Where did he go? Why you wanted to be where you know November has come? It's gone Kick it wicked, lick a shot if you at me and you know it as you clap your hands to the thick shot of a poet flowing. Grope a pen and I'm in, Kohiman, don't for rhyming, more words than that, the whole diamond, the quiet off the black market, a wiretapping curtain target, a jar spit, the rapid fire spark lit. A rapper, bug zapper, and it don't matter after if they a thug or dapper. Plug your trap or it's maximum exposure. He's got family members asking up for closure. Uh, send them a gun and tell them to paint it. Then go get the nun who said her son didn't mean it. She wore a filled in thong or billabong. I said, nah, for real, I'm a I, I, you know, I've told this story a lot. Um, 
I want I purposely did that because I wanted to be uh just strategic. I didn't like someone looking at me and just assuming that, oh well you must be a liberal. Um but I'm not a neoconservative. I am if anything, I'm a moderate. I'm, I, I like nuance. I can look at both sides of an issue and make a decision. Uh, again, I don't know what Trump is. So I'm, I'm going to play this for a moment, a, a quick clip about this whole, yet each, I can't even say each week, every couple of days, there's something wacky going on with Donald Trump, and his numbers just keep on going up. It's, it's I'll explain. We'll unpack. Hold on. Donald Trump is going to give a scary answer to a question about whether or not he accepts the endorsement of a well-known white supremacist. Will you unequivocally condemn David Duke and say that you don't want his vote or that of other white supremacists in this election? Well, just so you understand, I don't know anything about David Duke, okay? I don't know anything about what you're even talking about with uh, white supremacy or white supremacists. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Did, did he endorse me or what's going on? Because, you know, I know nothing about David Duke. I know nothing about white supremacists. And so you're asking me a question that I'm supposed to be talking about people that I know nothing about. But I guess the question from the, from the Anti-Defamation League is, even if you don't know about their endorsement, there are these groups and individuals endorsing you. Would you just say unequivocally you condemn them and you don't want their support? Well, I have to look at the group. I mean, I don't know what group you're talking about. You wouldn't want me to condemn a group that I know nothing about. I'd have to look. If you would send me a list of the groups, I will do research on them. And certainly I would disavow if I thought there was something wrong. The but you Ku may Klux have groups Klan? in there that are totally fine, and it would be very unfair. So give me a list of the groups, and I'll let you know. Okay. I mean, I'm just talking about David Duke and the Ku Klux Klan here. but I don't know. Any, honestly, I don't know David Duke. I don't believe I've ever met him. I'm pretty sure I didn't meet him, and I just don't know anything about him. Wow. Jake Tapper was crystal clear there. He said David Duke and white supremacists. Do you disavow David Duke white supremacists and white supremacists? You know what white supremacists are, Donald. Okay, even you know that. And then he goes on to say, yeah, the Ku Klux Klan. The look on his face is priceless, Jake Tapper, when he realizes that Trump is doing a tap dance and he ain't answering the question. He's like, no, no, no. I, okay, the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. You don't know who that is? You're not going to disavow the Ku Klux Klan? I was like, well, you know, I got to do more research. I don't know who these guys are. And uh, you asked me to, to talk on something. I don't know anything about them. No, no, but wait, Donald, he just said David Duke and white supremacists. And then he went on to say David Duke and the Ku Klux Klan. You're not disavowing them? You're not disavowing them? All right. You get the gist. Uh, that was some secular talk, a YouTube channel, secular talk, talking about uh, Donald Trump and this alleged amnesia regarding David Duke. And the Klan. I guess I forgot who George Washington is. I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know who Hitler is. I don't know who Mussolini is. I don't never heard of these people. Claire, <laughs> did you hear about this? Any thoughts? I mean, this seems to be a, a theme going from the Oscars to MHP losing her show to Donald Trump not knowing what white supremacy is. Again, I wish I could afford to have that amnesia. I mean, he's – my question is – my question is, I mean, I know he's <laughs> – I don't consider him the model Republican, 
okay? And I think that's probably part of his success. I mean, he's been a media mogul for how many years now? He knows how to work the marketing machine. He knows what he's doing. But my question is, is that everything is strategy, even avoidance, even as, you know, uh, Secular just mentioned, tap dancing around the answer just to kind of, you know, beat around the bush but not really not really deal with the question, which was spelled out about six different ways. Now, you would risk clearly looking like a liar, saying that you don't know what white supremacy is or that you've never heard of the Ku Klux Klan. You would risk that because of what? Not getting the KKK votes? Not getting the neo-Nazi votes? But I'm trying to understand, what is, what is the strategy here? What was it that he was so afraid of in terms of not wanting to clearly disavow any such support from those groups, those hate groups? I want to know, is it that important to you that you, that you not piss them off, that you get their support, that you get their vote? Is it? Is it that important? How much of a how much of a percentage are we talking about in terms of you know the electoral college or or even individual votes or or what I mean what's what's the dynamic there? You know, I I I want to know why why was it so important that he not even claim to have heard of them in order to avoid answering whether or not he would disavow them? I'm just, I'm a little confused here. I don't understand what the game is, what the strategy is. I can give you a theory. And the, and the emphasis is the word that you use, strategy. Uh, the first part of that, it would be the Southern strategy. Um, the Southern strategy dates back to Richard Nixon in the 70s, uh, who essentially, if, if you would use the term dog whistling, what he was doing was dog whistling. Uh, you know, a dog whistle obviously is, is a whistle that only a dog can hear. Everybody else can't hear it, um, or even racial coding, maybe. But the fact that he pretended not to know the obvious right before Super Tuesday, where he was going to have these um, these primaries in mostly southern states, was was one could construe that to be a a thinly veiled shout out to white southerners. That I'm with you, and this has been this has been done before. Um, we know that Richard, uh, not Richard, I'm sorry, uh, that um, uh, Reagan used Willie Horton, Willie Horton ads in the South to talk about to use like this 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 figure Willie Horton as as the face of black criminality. So you use that that poster of Willie Horton. As the face of of black criminality, that sends a message to white, the white electorate, the white populace, white Southerners specifically, and this works best in the South because that seems to be the hotbed of good old good old fashioned Southern fried racism. So that what he was doing was hearkening back to what how things went down, you know, uh, the the uh, the the Political parties switched 60, 70 years ago. Um, many, many black people were actually historically Republican for obvious reasons because of 
the ties to Abraham Lincoln. But at some point, there was a reversal after the Civil Rights Movement, and you had um, Southern Democrats who were racist, and many of them were Klansmen. They moved over to the Republican Party. And then the Southern, the, the Democrats at that point, post-Civil Rights, became the party of, for minorities and has never changed since, since then. But what he was doing was dog-whistling. I mean, he clearly knew. And then, and then afterward he says, oh, I, 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 uh, didn't have, I didn't have my earpiece. I didn't quite hear everything. I mean, you, you know, come on. Earpiece? Oh, Lord. That's what he said. I mean, okay. He said, I didn't have – I didn't – exactly what he said with, uh, with Megyn Kelly about the whole um, Mincy's issue. When he said, you know, I saw blood coming out of everywhere. She's, you know, we know what she meant, what he meant, but he just pretended like it didn't happen. I mean, it's, the, he had said a few weeks ago, my my ratings are so high, my polling is so high that I could murder someone, and I would still get these the votes. I would still get the support. And what he said, albeit offensive, appears to be true. Now, how this will translate? Going up against Hillary Clinton, I don't know, but I don't know what to say. And I and I and I, I'll say this: I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if Donald Trump is patently a racist. Uh, he might be just an opportunist with his ability to play people. I mean, you have Louis Farrakhan coming out, Minister Farrakhan coming out, saying that he kind of, sort of likes this guy. Now, what makes what sense does that make? But he sees something that this guy can't be bought, that he's a nut, and that he can't be controlled, and he will he will do and say anything to get elected. He is a media manipulator, manipulator like you said. Allegedly, there's a uh, there, there's a off the record comment that he made to the New York Times, a liberal paper, telling them off the record, "I'm not going to build a I'm not going to build a, a wall." I got to do that. So what does that mean? And now, because of it was off the record, they can't really release that. It means so we don't, we, like they all. It means. Be, it means he's all talk, all talk, no game, no follow through, regardless of his absurd promises. I mean, come on. But here's the thing: on the one hand, he is not subtle. Okay, he is not subtle in terms of expressing how he has felt. You know, time and time again about uh, Mexican immigrants, speaking of, you know, speaking of the wall, he is not subtle about how he feels about people of Islamic, you know, backgrounds and faith. He is not subtle. So that's why it does, whoever and whatever your religious or political views, what have you, it's just a matter of behavioral patterns, and so that's why it just strikes me as interesting, because you have no problem spreading hate and fear about certain groups. But for this other group, this other particular group, you don't want to answer the question. All of a sudden, you're blind, deaf, and dumb. What? Huh? One more time? I mean, really. I just... The, the thing is, is I don't know necessarily if he's patently a racist, and I don't even think it's relevant at this point because I think a lot of people that, you know, I've heard the same thing in terms of I've had discussions about Rupert Murdoch 
people, obviously, you make the assumption, oh, Rupert Murdoch owns the Fox network. Therefore, because Fox has been predominantly a, uh, a, a oh my God, a venue, a, a, a distributor of very <laughs> Republican and conservative viewpoints, therefore, he must be a Republican and a conservative. I don't necessarily think that's true. I just think that yeah. Trump, he knows how to play the game. He knows where the money is at. He knows how to sell, and he knows what makes noise and what sticks and what works and what ultimately gets votes. Talk about doing anything to win the game. I mean, I was the other thing that you just mentioned that I I I, I want to make sure. I, oh goodness, I'm already losing track, but. In terms of whether he's patently racist or whether or not he plans to build a wall, oh, 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 you said that a lot of people, they claim that the reason why they support him is because they feel that unlike other politicians, other puppets, that he cannot be bought, that he cannot be controlled. Okay, let's say I agree with that assumption. Let's say that he cannot be bought. Well, is that necessarily better than having someone who has a point of view of his own volition that promotes hatred, that promotes divisiveness, that's bombastic, that has no real experience in the arena? Is that necessarily better? Or Kuth? Oh, my goodness, Kuth. No class at all. Who needs class? Cap, I want you to to, to uh, we got about six minutes, six minutes remaining. Your your thoughts on what, put, what is this? What is this? Simply put, yes, Donald Trump wants to win the presidency, but he's also showing you exactly what he what he is. Everyone knows that Putin is a pro white guy, and Vladimir Putin cannot do exactly what he wants to do due to the fact that the banker cabal that controls his country. All right, he really doesn't want other groups really living there. He has made statements about that, you know. He has made statements such as saying that, you know, the blacks have Africa, China, Chinese people have China. Where's the place for with the white people? This is Putin now. And this is somebody that Donald Trump turns around and says, you know, yeah, me and him are really good guys. And he spits vitriol all the time about the Chinese nation and everything else. That's what Trump does, not on Putin. So I think more or less Trump, is he wants to win the presidency, but he's showing you what he really is at the same time, all right? As you said, dog whisper, but not, not dog whisper, not just to win, but also this is, this is what I am. And if you go into his history, look at his father who gave him that million dollars that he talks about to get started, you, you, you can see certain ties that he had right there too, going back with that. That's all in the history. And now according to one college professor that I speak to from time to time, White guy, got to say that, got to put that in there, white guy. He says, this is the same way Nazi Germany started, believe it or not. This is according to him now. He says, it starts out slow, then you go down the fastest state, and then you're rounding up people. He says, it starts out slow like this, and everyone's laughing, no one knows what's going on. It just seems like boom, 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 and then a man is gaining power, and, you know, then you start doing certain things. That's according to him. He said, that's what we're seeing right now. So, you, you know, it's going to be real interesting to see once he gets in, if he gets in, you know, maybe it'd be Hillary Clinton, and we know what that brings. You know, it's pretty much more or less the same. And you go down that road. But it'd be really interesting. You know, just be really interesting. That's what I think he's doing, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, listen. I, I've, I've always said that I'm not as, as, as scared about this because we've had crazy white men in, in the White House before. It's just that we know this guy's crazy. If you go to YouTube and, and listen to some of the, the private audio tape of Nixon, and Nixon, of course, was famously fond of taping himself. That's what got him, got him into trouble to begin with. He has tapes of all kinds of completely wild things. You know, uh, to, think, to think about conservatives today that have a problem with women and abortions. Uh, Nixon said in one of his tapes that, thank God for, <laughs> it's funny how I said that, but thank God for abortions because um, we wouldn't want our white women to get to be, uh, quote-unquote, knocked up by black men. And that's what, that's what you know, Nixon said. And he said all kinds of things about Jewish people and about, about all, all kinds of people. Um, uh, LBJ also, and, and, and mind you, as, as wacky as Nixon was, Nixon expanded affirmative action. Nixon, saying all that stuff, still politically expanded affirmative, affirmative action. But again, I mean, come it's on. all a strategy. It's what you believe and what you do doesn't necessarily have to reflect each other. But as long as one or the other, or if not both, puts money in your pockets, who was that guy? Former owner of the Clippers, Sterling? Donald Sterling, right. Right. So he's going to say all this stuff about Magic Johnson. He's going to say all this stuff about black people, even though he owns a basketball team. And I'm sure he's aware that the the um, <laughs> the the NBA is, I mean, what is it, 80%? At least. 80%? At players, least 80-plus percent of the players in the association, not the owners, the players, 80% or more of the players are black. I mean, come on. It's not it's it's okay to 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 own them and to make you know to to profit off of them but to associate or have your your girlfriend or your your side piece associate with them. Oh, well, no, we can't have that. So do I think well, that these people cuz I mean you just named great examples, but yeah, when it comes to when it comes to uh, Trump, I don't, I don't even know. I'll be honest with you. I don't even know if he's patently a racist. I just think he is a master manipulator, and he's played the media for decades. He knows what he's doing. He's had lots of practice. On that note, we got less than a minute. <laughs> Funny how time flies. Claire, as always, we appreciate you coming through. Uh, Saturday, for our listening audience, we're expecting Mr. Josh Luber, you know, Saturday, Saturday is our Grindhouse show where we'll talk more geeky. Um, Josh Luber is the CEO of StockX, which is a, believe it or not, a sneaker stock exchange. A sneaker stock exchange. So I, I've got to get this gentleman on to explain what the hell that is. But again, it's a person that's doing the heavy lifting and thinking outside the box. So uh, we'll talk about that and also comic book stuff, video game stuff, tech stuff. We do what we do. Cap, let's go on out uh, on a groove. Saturday, 6 p.m., Claire Lene, D-Bird, the Uncanny Daryl B, which is, of course, Claire's doppelganger from Earth 3. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back on Saturday, 6 p.m. Absolute pleasure. This is H2O.
by Solo Woods. See you on Saturday, folks. It's been real. She got a woman, he got a man.